0: And welcome to another episode of Podcasty with Ryan. I am Ryan, also known as The Right Ryan, on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. And I am just wanting to send out a big thank you to all of you for listening to the podcast and supporting as we move into episode 15 here. We have a very special guest. And I am also a huge fan of this person and their podcast and that is Marissa with the Vanish podcast which has been in production now for I believe seven years covering cases really across the globe um, of people who have disappeared and their loved ones are desperately searching for them so Marissa thank you so much for being here
1: thank you for having me
0: You are so welcome. The first thing I wanted to... um, I always do this at the intro, is just... uh, I call it the little Wikipedia about you. You can tell us as little or as much as you want, because we love to learn who we're we're talking to.
1: Okay. Well, as far as the podcast, like you said, I started it in 2016. Um, But as far as me, I... I grew up in Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area and I have three sons, uh, two teenagers and a six-year-old. I have two dogs and three cats. Before I started the podcast or before I was able to take the podcast full-time, I worked as a paralegal. I have since uh, recently relocated to North Carolina. I live uh, on the coast. It's quite beautiful. I moved down here after my parents retired. So uh, I've only been here for a little over a year. And so I have this, I call it my pre-retirement because I got to move to a really beautiful place, but I still work uh, more than full-time on the show. It's kind of a, my, uh, my life. Uh, beyond my kids, so, um, but I got to move to this really kind of quaint, small coastal area, and and it's really, really nice here. Um, other than that, uh, my life is mostly working on the show or just you know doing mom stuff and things like that
0: well i can tell that you pour your heart and soul into it because every week i'm captivated by your episodes truly thank you i am um so one of the first things i wanted to add so it's probably so um different to be on the other end of the podcast. <laughs> it is
1: It's weird because you you have all of the kind of editorial control when it's um, your podcast and I edit like crazy.
0: Right. So Right. <laughs> yeah, so one of the first things I wanted to ask you was, you know, we're all aware through the media of people who are who have disappeared. Um, There's all sorts of shows about it. And what drew you in to make this something that you're, you know, you said you're doing it as a career and, you know, it's, it's a passion. What, what drew you into this? Is it a, is there something personal that happened or is it just a sense of justice or what, what would you say is the main reason that this became such a huge part of your life?
1: So, to do a show like this, it's a real labor of love. You really have to want to do it. It, It's a lot. It's a lot of work, and you, you wouldn't be able to really do it if it wasn't something that you were really committed to. And I was actually amazed at how much work it took to create a single episode when I started, but to go back to the beginning, before I came to the conclusion that i would make the show um if you go back to when i was a kid i always heard this talk within my family about how my great-grandfather disappeared when my grandfather was a young child Mm. and it was kind of something that you only heard whispers about when you were little as you got a little older you you heard a little bit more my parents generation was a little bit you know let a little bit more detail slip and then as i got older and my grandfather was getting older before he um was diagnosed with alzheimer's he began talking about it more and you could see it was something that had deeply impacted his life (laughs) and also i think it deeply impacted who he became as a parent. He was very, very family focused and like a great father and and very devoted grandfather to all of us. And so what I knew was that he had been um, so he had a brother and a sister and a family member took the sister in and the two boys had to go into foster care in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And you know that can be You know, I don't want to say anything negative in general across all foster families because there are wonderful foster parents out there, but some people's um, experiences are not great. And especially if you're talking about, you know, nearly a century ago, right? What kind of oversight there was. And so I knew that some homes he had been treated well and other homes he had not been treated well. He actually met my grandmother when he was in a a foster home in um, outside of the city in bucks county pennsylvania and they were in kindergarten together and then they reconnected later in life um, after he served in world war ii with her her twin brothers and so they kind of had this cute love story but um i knew all these things and I, i had what i had been told was that his father had left and There was uh, some people thought that maybe he had taken his life and other people thought he went out west and started his life over because he had talked about doing that. So there's always been this possibility that he did that. And so before I started the podcast, I was really digging in on that. And I was doing a lot of uh, working uh, work in ancestry to try to find him. I put my DNA and the different databases. Never found anybody connected to him. Found other people on my other side of the family, my grandmother's side, who there had been like adoptions and you know, like second cousins had put uh children up for adoption who were like looking for their parents later, but never anything for my grandfather's father's side. So it was kind of a dead end and I I could find him in the senses before he disappeared but never after. And at some point it felt like I was just spinning my wheels. And so I decided at the time there were no podcasts that were just dedicated to missing persons. Mm-hmm. And I had a real interest in missing persons cases that were, that didn't have much attention to them in the media. And so I just had this idea, like instead of just spinning my wheels on this research that I can't find another scrap of info on, why don't I try to make a podcast about missing people, these cases that nobody's talking about? So I did that. And my first kind of try at this, I was amazed at the amount of time it took to come up with enough information on these, uh, lesser known cases to make even 15 minutes of an episode. And then I realized, Oh, this is why people don- aren't covering these cases because there isn't enough in the media to cover them. So then I realized what I had to do. I had to, I couldn't just rely on other sources. I had to go out and talk to people myself. And so that's kind of the little, uh, evolution. I guess you could say of how the show started from like a family history tie to an idea to, to what it became.
0: Right. I love knowing that, that, the inspiration in part came from your uh, great grandfather.
1: Yeah, it, um, it is uh, actually, uh, it, it's just like a little special thing that I always I always had an interest that always, I carried with me from when I was a kid like I was really into unsolved mysteries and stuff mm-hmm. like that Growing mm-hmm. up, I'd watch all the reruns on lifetime
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think it's just it sparked an
0: interest right. for me early right and you did mention that often you cover cases that are not in the media you know the media frenzy if you will um. what do you think what do you think is the main elements that will pull the media to these certain cases
1: so there's specific things that i've seen and i would say if we're talking about post uh you know, Facebook, social media era, If we're not going to go before that, but if we start there, what really seems to drive it is if you have somebody who has a lot of attractive photos on social media, Mm -hmm. who disappears in a way that is immediately seen as suspicious. Um, Another element that you could add there is if there is a suspicion that it could be a stranger abduction because stranger abductions are actually extremely rare. It's like less than 1% of cases. And so when when there's the idea that this person could have been abducted off the, the street corner by a stranger, the people go, <gasps> you know, because <clears throat> that's everybody's worst nightmare because if it's your spouse or significant other or a friend you in your mind you can think okay i could see that coming but a stranger that's scary you would never see that coming right and so people get really you know freaked out about that and then if you add in that there's like these attractive photos of a person and then it just starts getting shared across social media and people are paying attention and it just grows like it snowballs Mm -hmm. and we've seen that in um recent years one example of that it would be gabby petito because she was doing that kind of van life youtube stuff and so there was a lot of images of her that were really you know beautiful photos or videos uh it out in beautiful scenery and it's eye-catching it it does grab people's attention another one that i would say earlier this year that ended up being a hoax was that carly russell yes and again she had a lot of like really uh look professional looking photographs of herself and when you people see that and they they have this um idea of this person had a perfect life, something happened to them, and almost this infatuation with the idea of, of like the perfect person falling from this high place right Mm -hmm. and something terrible happening to them and a lot of times there is a lot more to the story that people don't know right off the bat and everybody has skeletons in their closet you know but anytime that you attach something to somebody like addiction or you know other circumstances homelessness things like this those stories just plummet Right. Um, From being shared or covered. And the truth of the matter is, uh, those people are the ones that are at higher risk of being or disappearing or being victimized because, I mean, literally, those things add to your risk factor.
0: Right. Right. I
1: would say those are some big factors.
0: Right. And, you know, the. The whole, and I know, I don't know if this is as much in the media, but I know there was a lot of emphasis on it lately with the missing white girl syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always thought, you know, there's some merit to that. I mean, like you said, you see these pictures like Natalie Holloway and, right. um, you know, these glamorous pictures and, I almost, this is my opinion, but I almost feel that people think like these people didn't deserve this and those other people had it coming.
1: Right. I do think that there is some truth to that. And we do see a lot of victim blaming in cases where if somebody was, uh, say, had some kind of substance you know, history in their past. Well, you know, if they hadn't have done that or they hadn't have done that, but the thing is, if somebody causes you harm, none of that is justification for it. So, but yes, people do view things often in a very kind of black and white way when it comes to um, who, who didn't deserve this or, who did and one of the things that we've tried to do is really show instead of telling, showing that even though somebody may have struggled with something throughout their life they are there's, there is value there and it may not be that you, you, someone listening may not have the ability to empathize with that that struggle in particular, Mm -hmm. but you can empathize with a mother who has lost their child or a spouse or, you know, brother, sister, child of a missing person who is still searching all these things. I feel like even if you can't connect because you don't understand the struggle of someone, right? You can connect on that basic level of being, a human being who has lost someone and and does not have answers,
0: right? And I've also noticed in a lot of um, episodes, you know, these aren't folks that have been able to put out a hundred thousand dollar reward or a media blitz or hire a private investigator. You know, some of these folks, like you're some, you're one of their first glimmers of hope to help. At least that's the impression yeah. I get as a listener.
1: Yeah, I do. I would say that a lot of people that come to us seeking coverage have not been able to gain much traction in the media. Uh, you know, at the whatever point they are, it could it could be a weekend, it could be a month, it could be a year or twenty. And so, what we do is try to give people a voice. And a lot of times, we are speaking to people who just don't have the means to put out a big reward, or they're looked down on for whatever reason, whatever element of the story it is. It could be that they they are in a lower income bracket. Uh, we cover a lot of rural cases, and I think there's um, some compounding issues there in terms of you know, people being low income, but also the police departments being small and, and not having a lot of resources. Right. So, you know, it's all these issues on top of each other, tangled, basically, that it's just setting people back. And if you have somebody who can, uh, who's good at social media... In your family or circle, who is a really good speaker and can get themselves out there? Then a lot of times that is really helpful and helps people get that media attention. But a lot of times people are looked down on. People have said it to me about people on the show. Oh, uh, don't you ever talk to anybody who has like proper grammar?
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness!
1: And you just—I mean, I just mostly ignore it. But you know this is real life and you know just because someone um may not speak as well as you or didn't live the upper middle class life and didn't have all of those opportunities uh doesn't mean that we should be ignoring their case or anything like that so we we talk to people you know on their terms as they are and and just accept that and, you know, uh, try to minimize judgment from the audience, but it does still
0: happen. Right. Um, I do notice, um, you know, you do a lot of cases from people who are from very small communities. You know, a lot of times I've never heard of where they're from. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I've picked up on on so many cases, because I'm an avid listener. <laughs> is they're so they feel like the police either don't care or they make assumptions that you know they don't want to be found um, but a lot of times in a lot of these episodes I hear I hear family members saying we, we don't get anywhere with them they don't return our calls you know those types of things
1: yeah It is a common thing that people say. And I think that there's a lot of cases that we cover where the police did a certain amount of work early on and then they just didn't have any other leads after. And they said, you know, it's open, but we don't have anything else to run down. And so if nothing else happens, it's just going to be stagnant or it's going to be suspended. Uh, until something further comes our way, and I, I understand that a lot of people, and I do think that part of this is TV and mm-hmm. stuff. A lot of people have this perception that they're just going to keep on seeking out leads, and because of a lack of resources, time, the amount of uh, you know caseload that different jurisdictions have, that's not always possible, but sometimes you'll see a case like that that might be years down the line it could be 20 years somebody new to the department will take an interest in cold cases open them up and start taking a fresh look and they may find something that the other people just missed and that's always wonderful to see but i do understand that how people feel in these cases that they can't even get a phone call back or maybe a a once-a-year status update or something along those lines because when you're in this position there's only so much you can do as a citizen because you can't just go and get somebody's phone records or or get surveillance video from a store the companies are going to say we need a warrant and all these things right you're depending on police to do it and that's the only thread that you're hanging on in terms of being able to find answers and find your missing loved one and you're just not getting anywhere with it and and you have this huge sense of urgency driving you And the police are like, we see this every day, you know, kind of desensitized to it. And it's, it's just hard for people to understand the reality of their, without leads, new leads, you know, they're not going to do anything. But I will also say that when you have these cases that do get that massive media attention, they don't seem to step off so quickly. Law enforcement, I mean, the the advantage of that media attention, it puts a little bit of fire under them because they're under a microscope. So that kind of media attention can be good in some ways. In other ways, it can be bad. It can drive a lot of um, craziness on the internet and speculation people can take stuff like that to a little too far. So it does have its pluses and minuses but I think that you know a lot of these cases from the smaller areas that don't have a lot of media and all of that it just is another one of those factors that I think makes them more likely to go cold and stay cold. Mm-hmm.
0: When you contact because um, a lot of episodes you'll say, you know we we filed a um, freedom of information. how How are you normally received by these law enforcement agencies?
1: Well, um, it all depends because some of them are willing to work with us and they see value in working with media or working with podcasts. And that's tough because, I mean, in the scope of things, podcasting is is like a baby we're not a television show so we don't carry as much weight with them as you know some big name tv show but um some of them are happy to work with us um others are very hesitant to work with us and so there are a lot of tv shows that if the police department will not work with with the television show they will not cover it and i've always decided not to do that because i feel like that it's important to still cover what we can even if we have to go about it on our own but we do always file those because sometimes even if you can just get a small amount of records it's extremely helpful and then other times we'll get some and you never know when it's gonna happen so it's like uh, a present almost <laughs> when I open it up and there's audio recordings of police interviews and hundreds and hundreds of pages from them and then other time mostly it'll just be a denial and part of that is sometimes they have to protect their case which I understand but when, when we do get those, I feel like it, it gives us a much more dynamic story. Okay. Um, I'm sure you, you heard our most recent series, and I, that is one that we got a large police file, and we also got some police interviews, and it was really interesting because it's a different... Uh, having a police interview to work with with somebody who's considered a person of interest or in this case there was somebody who had since passed away that gives us somebody talking to a podcast host is going to be different than how they talk to the police and it's, it's like being a fly on the wall and so it is very interesting and you never know what you're going to get. So whenever I get that stuff, I always go through it as soon as I can, even if it's something that we're not going to be able to cover for a few months because it's always, it's always interesting to see what they decided to let us work with. And I know some police departments have decided to work with us because they had a case that was cold and they basically said we have no more leads and we're going to try this because we might get something and if we don't get anything we don't get anything but we try.
0: so right why do you think sometimes um, especially on older cases that the police would be hesitant
1: well there have been some cases where they have lost the records completely destroyed whatever the circumstances And they seem hesitant to want to say that to the public. Uh, So that has happened a few times. I mean, many times. I've heard
0: that in some of the episodes.
1: Yeah. And I know a lot of times, like, we have one that we're working on right now that I believe that is the case. And so they're just not responding at all. But there's a 10-day, 10 business day response time, according to state law. And we are well past that. And so... Right now, they're kind of just pretending that I don't exist. But, you know, I think a lot of times there's either they don't want to deal with a podcast or they don't want to go out to the public and say, like, hey, we lost this this record or we lost this whole file. I mean, we have a case that we're covering next week from this year, this year. Mm. And i got a letter on my on my um on one of my foia saying that let me see i have it right here it says that they i had (laughs) so i i had done my foia and they asked me if they wanted that if i wanted them to preserve body cam footage and um, calls for service like 911 calls related to the case and I said yes please do I, I didn't know why they were asking me that shouldn't that be preserved on a case that's just months old but <sighs> then I got this letter that said that when, when they tried to locate the audio for my public records request um, it goes on to say that they were unable to recover it, because it was post uh, the, the date that they retained the audio and video, and so they were unsuccessful, and so the audio had been deleted and deleted, and was unrecoverable. Wow. So, I was surprised that I got this letter that actually admitted that, right. but that's an example of the kind of thing that we see, and you go, What? that this is from March of 2023, and you lost all of that? Right. So, it happens.
0: Mm. Wow. Mm. Um, what has been a case, I know you've done this since 2016, correct? Correct. Yeah. What is a case that always sits in the back of your mind? that you have covered
1: well i have a bunch of them but sometimes they hit me at different times um, for different reasons but i will say that one that i think about often is uh, and there's so many of them but one that i think about often is ian Eccles. we did a three-part series on ian say that was a couple of years ago that we covered ian at this point and he disappeared he was going to meet his friend to go hunting and they he never got to meet up with his friend but they believe that he made it up to the mountains and was asleep in his vehicle when he was attacked by a stranger and the gist of it is that they believe that he was attacked for a a battery a vehicle battery essentially and the whole case is kind of terrifying because they believe there's another death slash murder likely connected but they didn't know at the time and the woman uh, they just thought they, di- they didn't find her right away and they thought she had just passed away at home and then they find that there's this fugitive and Ian's missing and they're kind of behind uh, you know, the whole situation and it's just coming to fruition in front of their eyes and now this guy is, is a fugitive on the run in the wilderness and they have people evacuate and he's staying in, in vacation homes in the mountains and they are always a couple of steps behind him and They're looking in these vacation cabins and seeing that he's been there and they do eventually catch up with him and he he was caught but Ian's never been found and I think about it all the time because it's kind of what I had said to you earlier the idea of something randomly happening to you by a stranger (laughs) is so rare but it's kind of that fear in the back of everybody's mind and to think that you could be doing something that would be so peaceful and serene, being in this beautiful mountain scenery, and you're just chilling in the back of your vehicle and camping one night, and somebody it, you comes up to your vehicle, you, you would never never know that they were coming. You know, you're just sleeping in there, right? All for something as as small as a as a a battery for a vehicle. Um, but it was actually it was a terrifying story because. His friends, he was a just one of those people that everybody loved and he was outgoing and just, you could tell by the way that people spoke of him, Ian, that he was just one of those special people that when you heard people speak of him, you would go, wow, well, I really wish i had gotten a chance to meet this guy in my lifetime. He sounded wonderful. And they all go up to the mountains to start looking for him. And his vehicle's missing at the time. And then all of a sudden, it starts zooming down the mountain at them. And they're like, there's Ian. And then the guy gets closer, and it's the guy that they think murdered him. And how frightening that was. They're having kind of like a altercation that they never expected. They just thought maybe he got lost or stuck. And then, oh my goodness, this whole thing just explodes before their eyes. And then and there's this whole manhunt. It was a really really crazy story, but they are still looking for Ian today up there. They do not think that he could have survived just based on physical evidence found inside
0: his vehicle. Right. And there have also been cases that you have covered that um, led to a prosecution after the published episode. Yeah. And I'm thinking of the um... The woman who's... Um, her daughters ended up testifying against her father. Oh, I can't yes. think... yes. Donna May...
1: Donna May... The yes. Girl. Yes. I was
0: mm-hmm. captivated by that episode, Marissa.
1: Yes. That is one that when you asked me, that was one of a handful going around in my mind about which one sticks with me. Because that, that's one of those that when people ask that, that's one that I think of often. Because... I mean, wow, when you listen to Donna Mae's daughters, they're both wonderful women, and Jackie really kind of... it was her mission to solve this case, or find her mom, and it was something that she kind of thrust herself into, but also helping other families of the missing. She is wonderful. She works with families of the missing on a volunteer basis and sometimes people will say I heard Jackie on the on the podcast and I have a missing parent and I really connected with her. Can is there any way you can introduce me to her? And she has been very helpful to others, you know, just as a support person. She's wonderful. Wow. So But yes, what happened there, it's actually a funny story because when Jackie contacted me, I said, sure, I would love to cover your mom's case. And she got me in touch with her sister, and they both had very different uh, relationships with their father um, growing up. And then she got me in touch with her aunt, uh, Donna Mae's sister, and also she got me in touch with the investigator, who was really great, but he called me at first, and he was really kind of, um, how do I want to say it, terse, a little bit intimidating, and he said, I These are my victims, Donna May's daughters, and I need to protect them and I need to know that you have, you know, their best interests at heart. And I was intimidated by the way that he spoke with me, but he was, he really cared. He was one of those that you talk to and you're like, this guy really cares about his mm-hmm. work. And I said you know we we talked it out about how we were going to go through this and he told me he would share stuff with me but i had to promise him that i would do right by jackie and jody and i promised and then we worked together and he has been wonderful um he actually became the police chief after that but he he credited us in helping excuse me with that case because john the husband Mm -hmm. who was later prosecuted and convicted he had not he had not spoken to the police since the beginning since the 70s and he kind of shut down and then he actually answered when i called him and
0: that shocked me
1: i know (laughs) that was really uh, that was really one of those moments where I, I really was not expecting him to talk or answer, and then I just kinda of had to roll with it. But he did talk with me, and then the investigator said that it gave him an opportunity then to go to him and ask him if he'd be willing to talk with him again based on things he said on the podcast. And it was basically an, a, an open door for him to go back and see if he would talk with the police again. And he did. And he said that, that he listened to the podcast like over and over, which was so weird to me <laughs> that you, that if you were in that position that, that you would listen to it over and over. I mean, I think I'd go stick my head in the sand and pretend it didn't exist, but, um, he listened to it over and over and, and they did, there was some other stuff too. There was some, um, dna evidence that they were able to with new testing of course they didn't have testing back in the 70s but that was in the
0: garage is that correct
1: yeah and they were able to pull evidence out um from back then and they were able to get donna may's dna off of one of the girl's baby books um that had like lick and stick things in it that she had licked and put together to make the baby book to compare. So there there were other elements to the case, but it was one of those where somebody at the time had said to me, why would you waste three weeks? Because there was initially three episodes and then later an update, but why would you waste three weeks on an old domestic violence case from the 70s? And what I always say to people now because I took that criticism to heart. Like it hurt my feelings. And I felt like, man, I really hope that Jackie and Jody don't see this comment. You know what I mean? But now I stand by that firmly because you never know what case you're going to actually be able to help push a little bit closer to the finish line. So it can be that case from 19. 19- you know, from that, from the 1970s, you don't, you just don't know. You can't predict it,
0: right? So. And kind of on a sim, on a similar question here, what, what, and I don't mean your guests. I just mean, well, what frustrates you when you're, like, when you're, when you're doing these episodes, when you're, you know, putting all this effort into it, and besides the police, what? like when you make an episode are you like gosh i i'm just so frustrated because this person's not you know what what frustrates you when you're making an episode
1: Mm, it really depends on on the episode or the week but sometimes uh and this is something that has happened a lot recently is that sometimes we could be working on something for months and months and months, and I could have it almost completely put together. And then I go, okay, there's this question mark here. And this person that I think could answer it has been avoiding me or my emails or Mm -hmm. messages for months and I've been asking other people to connect me us to this person right and then very last minute they come through. And it could be, like, the episode could, could be almost done. It, it's, it's even happened after we released part one and we had a series. And I had to edit the person into part two after oh it was already completed. But what they had to say not only answered my nagging question, but opened a whole box, a whole can of worms. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that made the, the episode or the series better. But I was like, man... I've been trying to find this person or we've been trying to contact this person for six months and they came finally came through at the at, at the last second and they just changed everything. And so you just never know. It's always better. It's a good thing, but in the moment, it's like you took uh, hundreds of, of pages of something that you wrote, and you threw it in the air, and now right. you have to rearrange it and try to get it back in order. But that is something. It's really something oh, I um, bet. that that especially I would say in the last year has really been happening frequently to the point where now it's it's basically an expectation that this is going to happen. <laughs> this, it just happened last night for an episode that we have coming up in two weeks. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's a, a right on in, right in my mind, but. It's one of those parts of the discovery of the journey as you go along through these stories. Because after you, you work at this for so long, when you're writing or putting together an episode and all these interviews, I can see where there's these like gaps or holes in the story. And I go, okay, people are going to ask about that. I need somebody to answer a question about this thing. Right. And so it's usually along that journey of trying to fill in those holes that I find that one of these holes is actually an important thing that maybe people didn't want to talk about.
0: Right. So <laughs> do you ever have? Do you ever um, seek out cases that interest you personally, or do you always take cases that come to you from the public?
1: Well, usually, almost all of them come to us. There have been times over the years where I may have seen something like on social media or something where I have reached out to somebody but I usually find that I have the the amount of stories we have coming at us is so overwhelming Right. That I don't have enough time to go out and find things else, right. elsewhere but There have been times where I have, like, there was one time I, I saw a video that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children put together on a case, and it just kind of struck me, and then I went and I found the, the father of these two missing children, and I asked him if he would be interested, and he said yes, but it's really rare, and, and actually, as I've, over the years, as I've gone through this, I've been less likely to do that, because I have found that there's like two camps of people and this has to do with grief and healing and all of that but there are some people who ne- can never let it go, can never stop, will keep advocating for their case non-stop and they mm-hmm. almost will always be willing to talk with you and there's another group of people that have decided to kind of close off whatever that you know trauma in their life and move forward and when you approach that group of people it's like reopening a wound and Mm -hmm. i and i say that with no judgment on either camp i think it's a personality difference honestly right and i never want to re-traumatize people by cold calling them and being like hey I've got a podcast about missing people can we talk about your missing sister from 50 years ago and and it just reopens a wound for people so like I said as I've gone along I've become a little more hesitant to just reach out to people
0: right because
1: I've, I've seen that enough and a lot of times we'll see it not necessarily with Trying to reach out to people that we have no idea if they'd be interested, but also cases where it's usually a colder case. But say we have a missing woman who had five children, and we might get two of them that want to talk, and the other three don't. Mm-hmm. And they can, there can be a little back and forth between the siblings about this. I don't really want to talk. You know, I don't want to open this. And then you know, the other ones are say, "Please, we got to get mom's story out there." and we usually just say you know if you can get them to talk it's fine if not it's fine we understand but you you do see even people raised within the same household the same parents same circumstances they just people just deal with with loss differently and it's right. that's that's totally fine if people don't want to share you know their thoughts and feelings so i get it
0: And I appreciate that many of the cases that you cover do deal with addiction and mental illness. Yes. I think you're helping to um, erase the stigma and build some empathy um, for these individuals who do have mental illness and do have addiction because we all know people who have that. And I hope it. I hope it humanizes it.
1: Yes, that that has been part of my process of thinking on that because you can, uh, you know, people people will say rude things like, oh, another drug addict or something, but you can grow. I swear, people's hearts can grow a little bit each week when they hear about an individual story and not just you know, addict this, addict that. And whatever right. words people use junkie and all this stuff and if you really just break it down and if you go through a person's history and you explain their life struggles and how they came to this point you can gain some understanding about how this happens and that it can happen to anyone and if you think that it's not, not, not <laughs> happening to someone in your life or you think it's not going to then I mean that's unrealistic
0: exactly and going into the future here what would you like to do to make your pod like are there certain things that you would like to dive into that you haven't done or are there you know are there any major hopes and goals for the future because you know Or on the other hand i mean it's a perfect podcast as it is
1: (laughs) well i think that for me i I hope that
0: question made sense no
1: i get it I, i i get what you're saying for me i have found over the years that just and this is just my personal just from working on the different cases i really enjoy the ones that i can make into series um I feel like we're able to dive deeper and and it's never that I go, oh, I like this story, I'm going to make it a series. It's actually just the amount of information that's available. So if I can get a FOIA and get a bunch of stuff and I can really dig through a police file, that is like my favorite kind of work. But it doesn't happen all the time. But I've been trying to increase the ratio of ones that I can... Um, expand into series because um, I do really I really enjoy working on building something like that um, uh-huh. I have thought about doing a series on some of on a case or two you know outside of the vanished as I uh-huh. like say if I were to take one of our uh-huh. cases that have since been solved and and gone through the court process and being able to break it down from our original coverage to looking at it at a distance after after it's solved and we know it happened. I just haven't had the time. To- it's something that I've toyed with since about 2020. I just haven't had the time, the free time recently to, to start another project, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. I know you're... Because you are just you are so you you are so bombarded with cases i would assume that i mean will you always have more available than you're able to cover
1: well what we do is we try to so there's kind of we. it's kind of like spinning plates if that makes sense but what we do is it's we get ones that we get enough information in interviews very easily and they kind of go on the schedule. And then we have ones that we're like struggling to get more information where there might be only one living relative and we're basically <laughs> begging the police, like, please, can you look from the, for this old file from 1965? And just trying to make it work. And that may take time, but we're still working on it, you know? Yeah. And so we're kind of filling the schedule in as we get enough on each case and try to make it work. So we do, there are some that we just haven't been able to make it work. It might be a case where nobody has enough information to fill, you know, 10 minutes time. Like that sounds crazy, but it happens. But we do try to make every story work work. Um, into an episode, even if it's a little shorter or something like that.
0: But right. try. Right. And as a mother, um, do you sometimes struggle or just find it emotionally hard to cover cases of missing children? Because, you know, I know you're a loving mother, and do yeah. those get different?
1: I do, I do struggle with it, I, you know, it's funny actually, I struggle more at this point in my life because I have two teenagers, I struggle more with, it because I have three, my kids are all boys, okay, so I have three sons, and I struggle more covering like the teen males who have kind of... Maybe stormed off after an argument with parents or something along those lines and disappeared, and the likelihood of it being uh, that they that it self harm is high, or that maybe you know they somebody saw them as an easy target or something along those lines. That is actually quite terrifying to me, and also the the all the teenager stuff, the cases where you see oh they go to a party and something something insane happens and that you would never see coming and uh, it it's just you told them they could go and you wouldn't have ever... That is terrifying to me. The, the m- younger kid cases, we don't cover as many of them. There was a time that we were trying to incorporate a missing child each month, but we get less of those cases and I will tell you, I feel... The reasoning behind that is and you will see this if you follow missing kids in the media oftentimes it's a family member or other close relative that is either responsible or suspected and whether that suspicion is true or not people will often shut down Mm -hmm. um a a case that most people probably have heard about that summer wells that's one people really gone on like a real witch hunt with parents i can't speak to the case because i haven't covered it but i think that a lot of people just uh, in those circumstances they just shut down they don't want to give further interviews because they've been kind of you know the media has been dragging them or whether it's justified or not but um a lot of times when a child goes missing the first people they're going to look at are the parents somebody close by close family member and so i mean just statistically that is usually where it ends up falling right, right? so people go people say i do know you covered a drug addict, you could have covered an innocent missing child, but getting people to talk on missing children's cases can be very tricky. So, interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, the cases, um, you know, me being a high school history teacher, um, there's been a couple cases where a student or a, a teenager um, went to a graduation party. Trying to think, he went to a graduation party in Kansas.
1: Oh, Randy, yeah, yes,
0: that one really stuck with me, yeah, yeah. Um, When
1: you think of the things that can happen when kids are just being kids or maybe drinking a little bit too much or something and how right. that can just completely just change the trajectory of, of so many people's lives, whether it was foul play or um, just an accident on the drive home and all these things uh, and you just go, why were those parents letting all those kids drink so much? Right.
0: Uh, right. Like
1: if you had taken that element out of the story, I didn't I doubt that there would have ever been a disappearance.
0: Right. So when people, so in closing here, when people are listening to The Vanished, um, what is the number one thing you hope people get from your podcast, Marissa?
1: I hope that people can really just take lessons away from it I mean, of course, I always hope that somebody listening will know something and call the police. But really, there are so many little lessons that you can take away from listening. Um, and that could be just the value of giving someone a voice and, and how empowering that can be. Or, you know, if you, you listen to somebody's story and it's tragic and, and they're telling you, I, there were these warning signs and I didn't see them. And if you just take that and you remember that, and if you ever see that in your children or grandchildren or, you know, a friend and think about that because that is meaningful to the people who you are listening to on the podcast, you know, if something doesn't look right, say something. Mm-hmm. Just Absolutely. So many, so many little life lessons in there. They're just sprinkled around.
0: The I can attest. Yes, they are, and like I said, I enjoy the vanished each and every week, and I do appreciate that you cover people who are lower income sometimes, who aren't perhaps what many consider the most articulate. Um, that, and I like that you even give a little narration and say, "Hey, you know, these people still deserve." Justice, they deserve to be found, they're somebody's loved one. And I, like I said, I just hope people tune in because, as you said, there's so much to learn about race and gender as well, and Everything. all sorts of things.
1: Everything. And I will tell you that my usually when you see me or not see me, hear me kind of rant about that, it's because someone wrote me an nasty email about, you know addiction or something but my inspiration behind that is my sister's very long struggle with her heroin addiction since the late 90s and the reason that I can understand what these families have gone through is because my family has gone through it with my sister and you know my parents raised my nephew I helped when he was you know helped them raise him in his first few years of his life and when people talk about the roller coaster and just the complete how it can completely shatter your family right i get it i've lived it i'm lucky that my sister is is alive and not missing i mean there were, there were times that like we got call a phone call from the new jersey state police that her, her her car was found abandoned and we thought that she was missing and then found her i mean crazy stuff has happened and i completely understand it and i consider myself lucky and when somebody says what you know, they've been through this, I totally get it and I can't I can't just turn to somebody and say, Sorry, we're not covering your daughter because she's a heroin addict or meth addict or whatever insert, you know, X word or substance. Right. And it's important to me. And every time that somebody pokes me with one of these, like, why would you cover this addict? It kinda breaks my heart a little bit because my sister so that's that's the backstory on that
0: oh (laughs) i love that this podcast has personal links to you yes no you're not just um you're not just doing it as a spectator right absolutely so wow thank you so much marissa for joining me on the podcast today and i as i said i'm a huge fan and um It will make every episode a little more special to me, I'll be honest with you.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's been a fun time.
0: Absolutely. And thank you all for listening. And until next time, as always, just be a decent human being.